Well, welcome to fall kickoff, everybody. Woo! Yeah? It's amazing to see all of you guys here tonight. Um, if you're new, like I said at the very beginning, my name's Pastor James. I'm the youth pastor here at Red Hills. If you're not new, you already know that. Um, but we're diving into a new series. We just came out of a series called Where the Road Takes Us, and we are heading into a near new series called Out of Control. Uh, and tonight we're going to be looking at a subject, and I'll get to that in just a little bit. But it's been really cool to grow with you guys. Um, Olivia and I, my wife, we got married like three weeks ago. Um, yeah, you can clap for that if you would like. Um, and before you get married, if typically Christians go through a process called premarital counseling. I know, so exhilarating. But we went through a process called premarital counseling where we actually did it twice. Um, we were approached by my advisor at school. He's like, hey, so I'm, I know that you are, like, looking to be engaged. And I was like, yeah, like, in six months. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, I really want to counsel you and your soon-to-be wife. I'm like, okay, whatever that means. Like, sure. And so we sat down and we uh, went to premarital counseling with this guy. And we, when you first, in this session of it, we took a test called Prepare and Enrich, uh, where you answer a ton of questions. It takes like an hour and a half because it's like 250 questions or something crazy like that. Uh, and you take it separately, and then you compare results. And they take a lot of um, stats about like what do you like to do for fun, what food do you like, I don't know, like what, how did you grow up in your family, what are uh, your financial goals, what do you want to do with your job, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and one of these questions was a, we apparently set a record. He had been doing premarital counseling for 33 years, and we set a record. Uh, and this record was the level of anxiety that we had. And when I say we, I mean me. It was, we broke the record for how high my number was and for the fact that he had never seen a guy more stressed than the wife going into the wedding. Our scores were so far apart, too. It was 92 out of 100 to 10. <laughs> um, I had 92. Olivia had 10. And he was like, so, James, I see that you're stressed. I'm like, yeah, I'm stressed. Like, what, do you, what are you trying to get out of this whole thing? And he says, well, what are you stressed about? I'm like, well, just so you know, I haven't gotten engaged yet. I'm trying to plan my engagement. I, therefore, I have to save up for a ring. Saving up for a ring is kind of stressful. But now that I haven't saved up for a ring and we get engaged, I have to figure out where am I going to live. Uh, and it's kind of based on my job. Do I have a job? Do I not have a job? If I do get a job, am I going to be a youth pastor? Am I going to work at Walmart? Am I going to work at Target? What am I going to do? And depending on where we live or where I work, that's going to determine where I live. If I, you know, sign up and be a youth pastor, does that mean I have to move to Newburgh? Do I have to live in Salem? If I move to Newburgh, that means I have to get a house. But can I afford a house in Newburgh? I don't know. Are we going to live in a box? Are we going to live in an apartment? What are we going to do? And so now I'm just trying to figure out what are we going to do? And so we find out. Okay, you're getting a job. But all that comes to, I, I, am I going to stay in school? Is Olivia going to move out of her school? Am I going to stay in my school? Do we transfer? Do I just move to Arizona to start all over again? What do we do? Oh, well, that means I have to commute to work. If I commute to work, that means I have to get a new car. And that means because my car keeps running or uh, breaking down. And therefore, I have to get a new car. That means more money. And I don't know what to do. And I'm going to live up to what I have to do in my life. Or am I putting too much pressure Seriously, that was all the stress, yeah, that was all the stress that I had put on myself and was trying to live up to in my life. 
And the question is, as we embark on this night, are we supposed to be that stress? And if we do face anxiety, how do we combat it? Because Jesus, and I would argue that Jesus acknowledges the fact that anxiety is going to happen. But it's how you combat it as a Christian that really defines your walk with Christ. It's saying, am I going to surrender to God or am I going to surrender to the ways of this world and follow what they have for me? And I would argue, as we look at this passage that I told you to pull out, that God wants you to turn to him. So let's read it. It says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, and this is Jesus talking, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, as we come to you today, we thank you for your faithfulness, your provision. We thank you for giving us your word that we can look at so intently and trust that you have given us every single thing that we need for your purpose too, Lord. It is truly through you that we can live to see another day and we thank you for your mercy on every single one of us. Lord, I pray as I preach this lesson that I would fall humbly at your, at your feet that I would submit myself as a teacher and as a leader to present a word that is worthy um, to teach, that is your words through me, not my own. And I pray for these students that they would see that they are valued and that they don't have to work to seek, they don't have to work to seek your presence, Lord, but instead you, you alone have sought them, that when they were sinners, you still went after them and that all they have to do is turn to you and walk in obedience from there. Lord, you are good, and we thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I, if, you, if you couldn't tell, I'm, I was pretty anxious at one point in my life. Yeah. But, um, and so therefore, I wanted to look at this chaotic generation that we live in. The chaotic generation that we live in is something unusual that I think a lot of people, a lot of, People who've done studies on this have not seen yet. Um, this generation that we live in, most of you are part of the Generation Z. I'm also part of Generation Z, uh, and with the exception of maybe a couple of you, won't say names, are not part of Generation Z. Um, yes, thank you. Um, so I wanted to look at what, does, what are psychologists noticing about this generation? 
they're noticing, and I have some stats that I want to share with you, um, that there there's this tendency and there's this, like, I don't know what you'd call this, this linear line where anxiety is, like, right here, and it's just going up. And so, and it's really just around this generation that they're saying, wow, why are anxiety levels so high? And so we're going to look. But I also want to look, is this just a new thing? Is this just a COVID thing? Or has this been something that's been kind of unraveling over the years? So we're going to look at some stats before COVID happened, but we're also going to look at stats after COVID happened. So pre-COVID, the APA, which is the American Psychological Associ Association, I know all of you look into them on the daily, but the APA says this, and beware, I put it on the screen because there's a lot. It says, Gen Z faces chronic stress from many factors, including school shootings, student debt, joblessness, and even politics. Technology plays a role, too. Growing up in a hyper-connected world can evoke intense feelings of isolation and loneliness in some youth. That's you. Um, it can also fuel a steady drumbeat of negative news stories, a fear of missing out, and shame in falling short of a social media-worthy standard. Instagram, for instance, has been found to negatively impact the mental health of teenagers, according to a Wall Street Journal report. The popular photo-based social media platform is particularly hard on young women. It is credited with worsening body images, image issues for one in every three teenage girls. All that to say, there's a lot of stress before COVID even happened. And they are saying that technology is not helping you guys. If you didn't know, going on Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it may be, Reddit, I don't know, is not helping you guys. And so a slot, or this next slide shows some stats from 2018, also done by the APA. And it shows the number, um, compared with other generations, Gen Z is least likely to report very good or excellent mental health. That was before COVID even happened. And then also over there, compared to other adults nationwide, this is the uh, stress level of Gen Z compared. Mass shootings, 75%. Rising suicide rates, 62%. Climate change and global warming, 58%. I'm not very well aware of what climate change is. We don't have to talk about it, but wow. Uh, separation and deportation of immigrant and migrant families, 57%. Widespread sexual harassment and assault reports, 53%. If you cannot tell already, the stress, stress of our generation and of young people in general is very high. And we ask the question, what are we going to do about it? In fact, Gen Z respondents were also two to three, and we kind of showed in that stat right there that uh, suicide and suicide attempts are kind of on the rise. It says Gen Z respondents were also two to three times more likely than other generations to report thinking about planning or attempting suicide in the 12-month period spanning late 2019 to late 2020. So this is not just a new thing. This is a thing that's kind of been unraveling in this generation of youth. And so, that begs the question, what do we call ourselves? Gen Z or the chaotic generation? Because obviously, things seem chaotic. And they're anxious. So how about now? I want to show you some stats now from post-COVID. Well, I don't know if post-COVID is the right word. Maybe after COVID started is the best term. Uh, U.S. Surgeon General Bivette Murthy 
issued a public statement advisory on December 7, 2021 to address the youth mental health crisis exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. So if anxiety was not already an issue, it was labeled not even a year ago that this is something we need to actually look into. It's an actual issue. Gen Z respondents reported feeling more emotionally distressed, 25% more, almost double the levels reported by millennial and Gen Z or Gen X respondents, which is 13% each, and so on and so forth. 58% of Gen Z reported two or more unmet soci social needs compared with 16% of people from older generations. Stuff like income, employment, education, food, housing, transportation, social, social support, and safety. Also, Gen Z adults said, or 65% of Gen Z adults said that they felt very lonely during the pandemic. I don't feel like I need to go on because it's very evident that the stats show, or the stats show that it's evident that this is a very anxious generation. It's very chaotic. And how we turn, and, and like I said, Jesus, I, I would argue, Jesus is saying, yeah, you're going to be anxious, but how you turn to me or the world is what's going to define how you walk that out. In fact, secular organizations are even saying that um, a variable which, which is connected to mental conditions is based on the level of religiosity measured by means of the frequency of attendance in religious practices. That's interesting. In that first report before COVID, it said, okay, so technology is not helping. In fact, it's actually making people worse. But now secular organizations are actually saying religiosity is helping people. And although I don't like saying like, oh, Christianity is just like religion. In fact, I like saying like it's more like a relationship we get to walk into with Jesus. But Jesus is like, you know, maybe you should like follow me. Like, I don't know. Like, right. So. I think we need to press into that. How do we actually walk this out? How do we take what's actually being reported as an issue, anxiety, and either help defeat it or help actually pursue better health? We can either listen to the world, and that's totally fine. Like, I mean, well, actually, I don't think that's fine. But we could all, well the other side of that is let's pursue Jesus together. I hope why you're in youth group tonight is I Either maybe you're here and you've never pursued him before and you need to say, I need to pursue him. Or you're here and saying, yeah, I need Jesus very bad. So let's look at this passage. Let's break it down a little bit and see, okay, what do, what do we need to do? Well, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and all things be added to you. If you notice, the ravens, the lilies, they're not worried, yet you are. But why are you worried? If the ravens know that they're going to be fed, why are they, they wouldn't be worried because they're going to be fed. If the lilies know that they're going to be clothed, then why would they worry? Because they know they're going to be clothed. For you guys, you might not be worrying about the next time you're going to be fed. You might not be worrying about the next time you might be clothed. Because in fact, America, I don't know the direct stat off the top of my head, but I know that we do live in one of the most, I wouldn't say, that's no, not, we live in the most, like one of the more, wealthy places in the world. In fact, I think it's like top 10% in all of the world. So you might not have to, on a 
compared to the rest of the globe, have to be facing this fear of, when am I going to get my next meal? Or when am I going to be clothed next? But when Jesus was talking to these people, he, he, was, he noticed, you might only have one shirt, and that's the one on your back right now. You might not know when your next meal might be. But for us, we face a lot of anxiety because we say, okay, I need more. I need more. This isn't doing it. I need more. That's why a lot of us turn to Instagram. That's why a lot of us turn to video games. I need more. I need more. I need more. And so the question is, okay, what do we actually need more of? If we just need more of video games and Instagram, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to run out of that very, very quickly. But we can always find more through Christ. And that's what he's saying. If you seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added to you. You don't need to worry about them because when you seek first the kingdom, when you trust God, you don't need to worry. It's like a son who trusts his father. He may not know what's going to happen next, but he sees his dad pull out like a $20 bill out of his wallet, and he knows, okay, my dad's got this. I've seen him provide. I know he can do it again. Same thing with our father. We've seen him provide. We can see him do it again. That was the whole basis of our last series was we've seen God provide over and over and over again. The Israelites doubted every single time. But for us, we can say, okay, I've seen him provide. Therefore, I know for a fact that he can do it again. So we don't need to worry. Because if we seek the kingdom, if we push our eyes and position them in a place of one, humble submission, but two, looking right at them and saying, I need you, but I trust you, all the things will be added to us. And like I've said in the past, it's not like you're going to like, okay, God, I, my car's not working. I'm seeking you for this Lamborghini. No, like you're not going to get a nice car, probably. Um, but when we seek him with our anxieties of maybe I don't have a car, or maybe it is truly a meal that you don't know when it's going to come, we can know, okay, God, I'm positioning my eyes to you. I'm focusing on you. I don't have to strive to be better. I don't have to try to be religious and do all the right things, and then everything's going to be added to me because that's the other side of it. One side of it is I just need to submit everything and just trust him. And the other side of it is, okay, let me do X, Y, and Z and work my way to him. If I think seeking the kingdom is all about doing this and then this and then this, and then then he will give me everything I need, you're deeply mistaken. He does. Our Father in heaven does not want us to work in order to be satisfied by that. He wants you to say, here's everything I have. I'm kneeling at your feet. I'm giving it to you. Help me. He's ac asking for a deep desperation of need, especially in a very chaotic world. I don't need to read any other stats for you to realize we live in a very chaotic world. And we need him to satisfy every single one of our needs. And so we have to look. Where are we pursuing? What are we pursuing? Are we pursuing all the things of the world? Because I can tell you right now, Jesus is saying, you're not, you don't need to pursue everything in the world. He just got off saying, don't lay up all your treasures in heaven because they're not going to be there. I remember Two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. Kobe Bryant, who was one of my favorite basketball players of all time, he died. He had five rings. He had multiple MVPs. He had all these accolades that were put on his name. And wherever he ended up, they did not go with him. And a lot of people were saying, well, that's his legacy. That's all we have to know about Kobe Bryant. He did this. He did that. And I'm saying right now, it's great. He was a great basketball player. Don't get me wrong. 
but it doesn't matter. What we try to store up, what we try to work up to, is not going to go with it. Therefore, why do I pursue that instead of pursuing God who is eternal? Can I have an eternal relationship with him? If I pursue all these things over here, cool, in 80 years they're bye-bye. So all the world's things, the food and the clothes, they're not going with it. So why do we worry? Jesus and I think the rest of the apostles and the rest of the Bible know that we're going to worry. It's a natural uh, thought. It's a natural emotion, I should say. It's something that I think we all um, have, and there's good and bad anxieties. It's good to be anxious about a test, so then you study for it. It's good to be anxious when you're driving, like, 90 miles per hour in Arizona and like people are just zooming past you and you're like, okay, maybe I should like be safe right here. Like there's good anxieties, but there's also bad anxieties. But God says no matter what, you need to focus on him. It says in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, don't feel like you need to turn to that. I have it on the screen. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, that kind of contradicts what I said, but I'll explain. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This idea of don't be anxious about anything. It's proceeding or it's saying you're going to be anxious, but you don't need to be because give it to Christ. Give it to God who can do something about it. And how do we do that? In this passage alone, it gives us two uh, wonderful uh, application points. The first one being this prayer and supplication. And you might not know what that word supplication means. I didn't even know what that meant when I was looking at this passage. But what I looked into, and I saw all these things, and I'm, I'm not assuming, but from what I gathered, it's we live a lively prayer life. It's one where I'm constantly in connection to the Father, not, hey, only when I need you, I'm going to give you a phone call. Hey, God, I'm really struggling right now. I need to give you a phone call. It's, no, on the daily, I'm talking to him. On the daily, I'm pursuing him. On the daily, I'm getting on my knees and saying, I need you right now. Please help me. Or in the good moments, and we'll get to this in a second, giving gratitude and giving just everything I have to him. When Olivia and I started dating, um, we were doing kind of like long distance where we only got to see each other like once a week. Um, and so I have the choice. Do I talk to her this one time a week? And then just say, okay, I'll see you in a week. Or do I pursue her every single day? I talk to her every single day and be in relationship with her. I knew because I wanted to marry her that I need to talk to her every single day or this relationship is going to suck. Same now. I need to talk to her every single day. I need to be in communication with her. I need to be in community with her. Because if I don't, then our relationship is going to not be so good. The same goes with God. If I'm not pressing in, if I'm not being intentional, and if I'm not getting on my knees in submission, whether it's a good season of life or it's a bad season of life, I'm going to be suffering. I'm going to be suffering. Because he's always there. He's saying, okay, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Please just lean into me. Please le lean into me. I love you so much. I did this for you. I did this for you. I did this for you. Please lean into me. And we have the choice. What do we want our relationship with God to look like? Do we want it to look good and communicate all the time? Or do we want it to look bad and never talk to him? The other part is gratitude. A very easy, 
way to start this is write out a list. Write out a list every single day. It can be one thing. Thank you for helping me get up this morning. One thing. And then the next day, okay, let's write two things. And then the next day, let's write three things. I'm not saying get to day 365 and you write 365 things. Like you can cap it like maybe 10, I don't know. Do whatever you need to do. But a simple way to do this is write out a list. What am I grateful for? What has God given me? Because when you start to focus, what has God done for me? One, I can say thank you for being such a good God. And two, it takes my mind off of everything anxious. It helps me realize, God, you've got me. I don't need to guess. When Olivia and I finally got through that terrible season and my score probably went from a 92 to like a 10, I was able to breathe. And but then also, like, I was able to say, you know what, right now, when finances aren't so good, I already saw God provide. I know he's going to do something with this. And when I have gratitude, it helps my trust in God go up and my anxiety goes down. So I want to finish here. This idea of anxiety and chaotic, and I hope the rest of my messages are not just depressing. Holy cow, this is kind of a downer. You're probably saying, wow, James, thanks for inviting me to youth group. I never want to come here again. Um, but as we go through this series of out of control, you are going to see that together as a youth group, we are seeking the kingdom. That we are not just, okay, anxiety, you win this time. I'm going to try to keep going at it again. I'm going to turn to technology. I'm going to turn to whatever. You're going to see that we are going to hit it face on. That this world is chaotic, but we serve a God who sent his son down as Prince of Peace and provided that. I was watching the movie Pinocchio last night. Um, it's a great movie. You should watch the live action. Um, and I was watching it, and I was like, dude, this movie is like the prodigal son into a Disney movie. This is awesome. Um, but you should watch it. And I was looking at it, and I was like, okay, Pinocchio becomes a real boy, and then Jiminy Cricket becomes his, like, conscience. And then they go, and they're walking to school, and then these two foxes come up to him, and they're like, they're like it's a fox and a cat or something, and it's like, hey, man, follow us. And Pinocchio's like, bye, Jiminy. And so then he joins the circus. And one of the things he says when he's in the circus is this, like, amazing song, and honestly, like, one of my favorite songs. It says, I have no strings to hold me down, to make me fret, to make me frown. I had strings, but now I'm free. There are no strings on me. Okay, that song, he's singing, he's like, you can clap, sure. <laughs> he sings that song, and he's like, I have no strings. I'm a free boy. I can do whatever I want. The world is my place to put my mark on. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to make my father proud. I'm going to do this, this, and this, make all the money, and I'm going to be proud. And what do you know? Stromboli, the circus act, throws him in a cage. And Pinocchio realizes very quickly, freedom comes with a price. And he's caged. And then Jiminy Cricket comes along, and he unlocks the cage, and he lets him out. And then they're walking down the street, and Pinocchio's like, bye, Jiminy. And he joins the Lost Boys. And he goes to a place called Pleasure Island. 
And Pleasure Island is a place where you can do anything you want, whenever you want, and there's no consequences. Yet in this world, everybody became donkey. And very quickly, Pinocchio realized again, I can have freedom all I want, but there's a price that needs to be paid. And it ends with Geppetto, his father, pursuing him. Because he realized he's lost. He doesn't know what he's doing. I need to go after him. And I realized in that moment, that is just like God coming after us. Wow. Um, but it's so true because freedom has a price. Your freedom and your peace of mind, your anxieties, whatever it is, were destroyed on the cross, and that was the price that was paid. And through that, you have true freedom. You can either have the world's freedom that seems like it has no restraints on it, because here's the truth. Sometimes living in the world is a lot more fun, but it comes with a price, and that price is bondage to the way the world works. And when you say, I'm never going to get out of this, it's fun, it's great, you're a slave. But Jesus came for us. Like Geppetto came for Pinocchio, Christ came for us. Because we were slaves. We were caged. Our freedom had a price. And that price was bought by Jesus. He says, you know what? You're broken. You're anxious. But here's what I got. I have peace. I have freedom. True genuine freedom, one where you don't have to be a caged circus animal, but you can actually live in true freedom with the Father in you.